0: HD Smartcast
1: You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD
2: Smartcast Dr. Aluwalia what would you do in terms of making these spending decisions because you know that That's the thing about this COVID-19 recession. It's probably the strangest recession in living memory where some people have been left unscathed and some people have been completely decimated. And that's happened in the context of a universe or a world which at any rate was perhaps the most unequal in living history. You know, if you had to go out and prioritize spending, saying, you know, here's where I do want to put my money into, what would your top two or three uh, you know, points over there look like?
0: Well, clearly, um, you know the uh, requirements of the poorest segments of the population. Can I just uh, can I just um, yeah, the requirements of the poorest segments of the population should obviously have first priority. You know, from that point of view, I think we could have been more generous, perhaps, than we were, in announcing for the year as a whole that the sort of support uh, 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 that we were going to give to the poor was not just for three months that it would continue as long as the growth rate didn't recover or some such thing. So people would have been able to plan a little bit more. One critical area where clearly more expenditure is possible is in the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Program. Because all the information that one gets from the newspapers is that uh, states, there's more demand for this uh, program and they're not able to actually employ people because money hasn't been released, although it is meant to be a demand-driven program. So quite honestly, a large increase in expenditure so that no state is able to say that you didn't make money available. In fact, release the money, because very often the state won't spend unless the money is released. So that's a clear area. Now the third area, which I think the pandemic is driving us to, is that we should, the central government should simply say that we're going to cover the entire cost of vaccination of the public sector program i mean this is a public good uh, i don't know what they are going to do uh, it hasn't actually been stated yet it has been stated that for the first 300 million it's going to be free but i would say that we we, we it should be free through the public sector and that would, most of the money needed would be in the next year so that would be a clear additional expenditure going into the health area you know I agree with what Sajid said, that uh, infrastructure uh, is probably the one area where the government ought to be doing much more if you want to have a healthy uh, private investment-led recovery. Sooner or later, uh, private investors will start getting into the act. That's not when the government should be getting into the act competitively by producing the same thing, but it should be in the act producing the infrastructure that's needed to stimulate that kind of investment. Now, how much can you do? You know, infrastructure projects take a very long time to plan. But I wonder in how many cases bills have been held back. You know, when the message goes out that you should economize, I mean, any halfway sensible civil servant who raise a few objections to the bills that have been put in, the problem is that when you raise these objections, it's very difficult to counter them. At least the same person isn't going to counter them. You need to give some thought to how much more money you can push out because what this will do is it will ease the financial condition of the contractors in the business because otherwise what's happening is they're not paying their bills further downstream. I think that uh, if we were quite clear that we're willing to see a big increase in the deficit this year and I think we're all agreed that would be a good thing if the finance minister also agreed that that's going to be a good thing there's a lot that can be done for expenditure in the current year. And I think for next year, I kind of agree with what Sajid said, that, you know, we shouldn't assume that we'll be back to normal next year. Because at the moment the projections being made by the NSO, CSO, are that we will have a big increase in government consumption expenditure the rest of this year, and that will bring uh, the economy back to to the 2019-2020 level for the second half. But, you know, going forward, I mean, I'm not sure that you want a comparable huge increase in government consumption. There has to be some increase in the other elements, uh, particularly investment. And there, what you do to the banking system, to my mind, is very crucial. So if you're looking for signals which the finance minister would give I think a signal on how we're going to handle the banking problem, which is just goes on and on and on with no real resolution. I would look for uh, a solid uh, guidance on how the government intends to handle that part of the problem. So those are, and I, I go back to what I said earlier. I mean, Sajid was mentioning about revenue response. I really think this is the time uh, to make an effort to bring the GST back on track. I mean, if we, I mean, they often say that you know. You use a crisis, you treat a crisis like an opportunity. Well, I mean, GST reform, uh, filling it out, fixing the problems, simplifying the rates, I mean, it's staring at us. And I think we have a situation where uh, politically, uh, it, you need a positive vote in the GST council, but government plus all the states which are actually ruled by the BJP, if they would all agree, I think you would get that vote. And I think that would be a very big thing. Not just for next year, it would be a very big thing for the next four or five years because we need we need a multi-year program to take care of uh, this problem of bringing the fiscal side back into track, back you know, on track.
2: Dr. Acharya, I'm interested to hear what your view might be in terms of whether or not that is money well spent. A, um, as Dr. Aluwalia pointed out, to cover the entire cost of vaccination for the citizenry, B, to create some kind of jobs guarantee scheme. And you know, there's been a lot of talk about creating a parallel of MG Narega in the urban context as well, and C, whether you think this is the time to also take on the bank situation where we've sort of pushed the can down the road going into this year uh, in terms of uh, you know extending the moratorium. But do you think that banks as well might get addressed and that would be money well spent?
3: Okay, Mitali. First of all, uh, I think um, I have uh, have complete agreement that uh, we should uh, have uh, the vaccination drive, which uh, will of course go on for more than one year, but uh, probably not forever. um, uh, Funded uh, completely, so there's no quite money should not be the issue, and it's uh, as Monty pointed out. It you know it's basically has the elements of a pure public good where you know if you give me a jab it not only helps me but it helps those who live around me because uh, uh, i'm not a disease spreader to that extent anymore so that's that's what you know public goods are defined as as you know in uh, economic theory so that would be a great thing and i think uh, uh, i would even go further than in one sense that i would be not averse to having if you were finding money raising a difficulty and you know, uh, the kind of asset sales that uh, Sajid was talking about, uh, not happening to the extent that is desirable, um, I would have no problem with uh, uh, a SESS, uh, possibly a shareable one, uh, which is levied on uh, the income taxes, uh, but which is removed after two years or some very reasonable sunset clause, uh, and is totally earmarked for. Uh, uh, vaccination and public health uh, 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 requirements. Uh, so that that priority is very clear. Uh, I think it's uh, I think when you get to something you mentioned about the um, uh, the sort of urban employment guarantee kind of thing, well before we get to the urban one, uh, to the extent that the Manrega is being uh, the mandates are not being offered because of an expenditure constraint, then clearly that's a high priority to release that constraint by more spending. And you have to release the money, make it available to the states. So there's, it's got to be the transfer mechanism has to be there for that, which it is. Um, but uh, there, there was discussion back in I think summer of uh, June, July, if I recall correctly, to you know, because recognizing the the, the hardships, uh, huge hardships, uh, you know, one should not in any way minimize that that uh, large sections of the population went through, you know, ten million people who kind of informal sector workers in uh, urban areas, particularly metropolises, making very painful journeys back home uh, to an uncertain future there. Um, That to the extent it can be relieved by having some sort of low end employment guarantee scheme, which is workable. The key thing is what is workable? I'm not sure. Uh, In uh, uh, urban areas, I think would be Uh, a a good priority. I would, though, approach it somewhat experimentally and not immediately say, you know, there's going to be a zillion thousand crores available for that, because uh, I think the making it work may be a bit more difficult than in the rural context. Um, uh, Thirdly, I think, uh, um, you know, uh, and this comes from a more from a geopolitical perspective, uh, I think we have to increase defense expenditure. that's been falling as a share of GDP uh, for quite some yeah. time. Now down to I don't know, 1.6 or 1.7. It used to be above well above two in my my memory and not too far back. Uh, and we need to get it back and for obvious reasons, uh, you know, uh, that has to be done. Uh, so I would say those are my uh, my priorities in terms of uh, uh, expenditure.
2: You know, in the last conversation, Dr. Acharya, someone suggested a uh, for defense. We've now heard a cess for COVID. So <laughs> I'm wondering whether it's going to happen, but we just don't know what term it's going to take. Can I just add yes, one more
3: please, thought, if you want yes. to your questioning, perhaps? Is that, uh, you know, we're looking at this very much from a central perspective. And yeah. that's because the central budget is the subject of discussion and it's coming up fairly soon. But I think we need to keep in mind that a lot of the priority spending is actually done by state governments. So it Absolutely. involves effective transfer mechanisms. And we have, of course, the new Finance Commission report, which is already got, will be tabled and made public. It'll be interesting to see what they have to say. But I think the important issue is that uh, the this, this government, central government, has to keep in mind that the states have to be also well-funded in carrying out the kind of priority expenditures we are talking about. Because a lot of them, the, the, the cutting edge of it is at the state level. It's, yeah. not, uh, it's not stuff that is done at the central level at all. So, And here, the move, the transition to GST, I think, has had raised a structural problem with state budgets. I'm not talking about the amounts and about compensation and all that, those issues. But the structural problem, if you were a finance secretary in a state, which I've never been, but I can imagine. Uh, the most buoyant revenue instrument, namely sales taxation, which later got called state VATS, has disappeared. It's got subsumed into the GST. And so all the other revenue instruments that remain at the state level don't yield that much. So that's a very tough situation for all states to be in. And so I think that should be borne in mind when the center acts.
2: No, you're Absolutely right. Uh, and in fact, aside from increasing borrowing limits, I have not come across any concrete measures that have been discussed in terms of how to support states better. Uh, Sajid, you know, I want to get back to the growth conversation with you, because this has been a year where we've been through any number of alphabets, V, U, W, and I think you've now settled on K. So <laughs> let me just ask you to explain to our viewers what you mean when you talk about growth uh, like that. And Perhaps add a question within that, Sajid, which is that the December jobless numbers surged, the unemployment numbers, I beg your pardon, surged to 9.1%, which is CMIE's number. Uh, Do you think that should be the focal point of any sort of fiscal outgo or any fiscal spend from the government, whether it is doing it via states, whether it is doing it through a central program, whatever?
1: No, absolutely. I think the one thing that we were worried about at the start of this crisis, uh, not just for India, but for emerging markets more generally, is ultimately, um, uh, you know, the hysteresis from the shock uh, over, over time would depend on whether the initial shock amplified either in the financial market or the labor market. And that was the overwhelming concern here, that if the shock were to amplify in one of these markets, then the impact of that would be far more enduring in years to come, well after the health crisis had been mitigated. Uh, and you know full credit to the central bank for ensuring that this is not amplified uh, uh, through uh, financial markets as yet. Uh, they acted very proactively. Uh, monetary policy was the prime mover uh, in 2020. We had liquidity. We had forbearance. We had rate cuts. But we also have to recognize now, to your growth question, that uh, those exceptional accommodative measures will gradually have to be uh, rolled back so as to avoid a macro financial problem down the line. And I think it was important that the RBI did what it did on Friday night, which is to announce that some of that liquidity, $2 thereabouts, would gradually be rolled back in terms of a term reverse repo because you don't want a sustained mispricing of risk, which creates financial stability concerns uh, down the line. Uh, uh, Number two, this is not to say, however, that no challenges exist. You know, one of the problems is with a lot of forbearance and moratorium around the world, we really don't know what the state of those balance sheets in the financial sector are till the moratorium way off and you'll then have a better sense of uh, how high NPAs are, for example. The good news is that many financial institutions in anticipation of this have raised capital. Uh, uh, but we also have a more uh, you know, enduring problem there, which is credit growth. This was something that preceded COVID, that the risk aversion among public sector banks and some balance sheet concerns at the periphery meant that system credit growth had slowed meaningfully and we haven't seen that pick up. So the good news is we've avoided the amplification in financial markets. Um, right now, credit growth is not picking up because demand is weak. The question is when demand picks up, will we get a supply constraint of the sort of through you know risk averse financial institutions of the sort that we saw pre covid so those are a set of issues there but precisely because monetary policy will have to gradually reverse its you know ultra accommodative stance this year and remember um, you know this is an environment of global reflation oil prices are back at 55 uh, global commodity prices have increased 20, 25% in the last six months. Uh, as the world gets vaccinated, as you see more fiscal stimul- uh, uh, stimulus in the US, you'll get more global inflation, And that may increase uh, the constraints that, uh, that, that the RBI will be under. Uh, I mean, oil, rising oil prices are negative terms of trade shock for India more generally and make the macro management that much more difficult. But precisely because monetary policy did its part last year, and, um, uh, and this year uh, will have to you know, rein in, uh, will the baton, so to speak, have to be passed from monetary to fiscal? And this is where, you know, keep the headline deficits apart, those will come down, that the discretionary stimulus, the, the, the impulse from fiscal will have to be expansionary. Why is this important? Because to the point you made, when, what is this k shaped recovery? It's happening around the world that you've seen a very heterogeneous impact of the virus Uh, on different parts of society, right? I mean, they say COVID affected uh, people with pre-existing conditions. That was true, not just on the health front, but on the economic front. That the small firms, uh, uh, you know, uh, informal labor who had the least reserves or the least shock absorbers uh, faced the biggest impact. And you're seeing some of that scarring all around the world. We had a jobs number in the US where again, labor, uh, you know, NFP was contracting. And to the point you made that, There is more evidence now of labor market scarring in India. Um, The CMI survey showed, uh, I think the right way to read that is to kind of fix the labor force participation rate uh, to pre-COVID levels. And once you do, one of the worrying things is the unemployment rate, which was about 7.5% pre-COVID, is now looking more like 13 or 14%. This ties in with Enrega demand, which has been 50% higher than last December. So indications are there has been a fair amount of labor market scarring. Uh, and therefore, the macroeconomics of the K become a little bit complicated because over the next two months, you will see a sharp rebound. And this is the upper income who've been forced into these uh, savings, whose balance sheets have improved for two quarters, actually express themselves. And so we should not be lulled into thinking that you know we're out of the woods because the economy is recovering strongly in the next two quarters. That is what I call kind of the sugar rush from this one-time balance sheet improvement of the upper income. It's the lower income who may have lost jobs and incomes that is a more recurring impact. right? And I think therefore policy, the budget needs to anticipate where the macro economy will be two or three quarters from now when the pent up demand is over. Uh, and that's why I think getting that fiscal impulse right this year uh, is more important than ever.
2: Mm. Dr. Aluwalia, very quickly from you, you know, on the points that Sajid raised about uh, rising unemployment figures. Up until now, the focal point of of dialogue or discussion has been manufacturing, has been exports, of course, but has largely been, you know, what kind of infrastructure push can we make, while perhaps ignoring the fact that the space that's really crumbled is the services sector. That's the one that got hit the hardest. That's the one that's probably seen the most in terms of layoffs and job losses. Uh, What would you do to address the problem in the services sector in in the near term and perhaps over the medium term as well?
0: Well, when you say the services sector, you mean the sort of contact services, hotels, restaurants, and things like that. Yes,
2: travel, tourism, hospitality.
0: I'm not sure sure that the budget can do very much there. I mean, clearly, uh, the businesses that are hit by that deserve some uh, consideration, which really boils down to giving them a little bit more leeway on credit. But otherwise, quite frankly, uh, that sector's recovery is going to depend crucially on how effectively we battle the COVID threat and people's perceptions of the COVID threat. I mean, when they start getting back to normal. You know, one point I want to make is that there was some discussion earlier about uh, an employment program in urban areas. I am not a great admirer of that particular suggestion. You know, I think the, the, the ability to get a sensible employment program going, I mean, it requires a huge amount of planning. And if, we are, if we, are, we are the view that we are now having a V-shaped recovery back to normal, then this is certainly not the time to introduce yet another employment program in urban areas. It's much better, in my view, to spend that money on the rural side so that whatever support can be given to those who've actually left the urban areas and gone home, Uh, is available to them in rural areas. And on the urban side, we have to rely on the spontaneous growth of employment uh, as a result of filling posts. I mean, the states have huge numbers of posts unfilled, but that is nothing that the central government can do. It's to do with the fiscal health of the states. And I think as Shankar mentioned, we have to see what the Finance Commission has recommended, whether they've uh, taken some special steps, either in the form of, revenue share, which I doubt, or maybe some kind of grants. I mean, in the health area, for example, that is a long-term requirement in India. We need to increase the amount of expenditure on health by well over 1% of GDP, most of which has to come from the states. So, you know, I think there's an issue here that if we, if we have a constitutional division of responsibility and if the states are spending their money on freebies, Do we then want to push the central government to fill those holes by starting new central government programs? It's a tough decision, but I think we need to be a bit careful on that front. You know, on the growth side, you you mentioned growth, and I just want to put that in. I mean, the most important thing is to take very little interest in the so-called recovery that we are going to see next year. I mean, in the first quarter of the next year, you will have a high double-digit growth rate. I hope that we don't get carried away with enthusiasm that we are now the fastest-growing economy in the world because we are only recovering from being the the largest collapse uh, economy in the previous year. I think the challenge that the finance minister, she should assume that we're going to get a reasonable growth next year. Sajid thinks it could be even higher and what people are projecting, fine. The real challenge is that when you've got the economy back to normal in the year 21, 22, uh, which which I think most people think is when it will be back to normal, the question is what's the growth going to be like after that? Because then what you're saying is the COVID impact is now taken care of and we go back to norm. But what is the norm? Is it the pre-COVID norm? If it's the pre-COVID norm, the last year pre-COVID was just 4.2%. If you average out over a few years or so, it's somewhere between four and a half and five. Is that the growth rate that we are planning for? Or do we really believe, I do, that you know it would be unconscionable to be thinking of anything less than seven plus percent. I mean, I would like to say seven to eight percent. And you know, when you're in government, you always put a little bit of icing on the cake. 8% will be very very difficult but you know 7 plus percent is not impossible for india to achieve and therefore the budget should be judged in my view by the policy changes that it announces which would help to get india into the 7 plus percent range and i think the big difference you know the, the 1991 budget is very often talked about as a quarter share budget you know the most interesting thing about the 1991 budget was not the programs that announced. I mean, year after year, finance ministers go up and say, agriculture is very important, here's a program for agriculture. Education is very important, here's a program for education. Something else is very important, and I'm announcing a new program. The 91 budget was all about policies. Now, if the finance minister wants to carry credibility in launching India onto a 7-plus percent budget, uh, growth rate after 21-22. The thing to do would be to to make a firm announcement that certain policies really are going to be implemented. Now, the problem is that for many years, and this goes across government, I'm not just referring to the present government, you know, policies get announced, but when they're implemented in a way in which they don't actually achieve the objective. I mean, for example, we've had privatizations announced, and everything is delayed until the last minute, and then you don't get a good bid and you say, no, of course, we can't privatize. Now, all this should be anticipated. And I think that's why if you have a clear statement on policies and say, look, this these things are going to get done, personally, I would be a lot more uh, happy. And I mean, a very specific policy, uh, which I really feel uh, uh, sends a very mixed signal at the moment, is the policy that we've been following on tariff rate, import tariff. You know, in the last three years, we've raised tariffs on more than a 100 items. I, mean, I think generally we are around the world, we have done the most number of protectionist changes. Now, this is a world in which attitudes are changing, and it's true that many other countries have done the same thing. But we need to be very clear are we reversing uh, a long standing policy that we are not going to be the highest tariff based economy of the world? Uh, Or are we actually continuing with running an economy that has a good chance of being competitive in the world that we face? And my own view would be that there are problems and Indian industry very genuinely, I think, feels that they have limitations in which affect their competitiveness. But those limitations are not because they don't get tariff protection. Those limitations are because our infrastructure is not good enough. The cost of power to industry is too high because of cross-subsidization. The logistics is not good. The procedures are not good. The amount of time taken in ports is much longer than anywhere else, et cetera, et cetera. But these are all problems which, if they were identified at the highest level and target set that we're going to achieve this, these are problems that can be addressed. And we should get away from the notion. That in order for Indian industry to be competitive, we have to keep jacking up tariffs. The trouble is, if you do that, the demand for protection will intensify and will come from multiple quarters. So, I mean, in that sense, I think that the PLI, the, the production linked incentives, is better in one sense, because it's not a kind of knee jerk reaction about raising tariffs. And people will ask the question that if we are spending this much money, are we getting anything in return. Yeah. So I think that I would be very happy to see no increase in customs tariffs this year. Ideally a rollback of some of the increases that we've seen in the past. But we do need to give this signal that um, the idea of uh, Atman Nirbhar is not uh, creating rules. Now, gov- government spokesmen have said so. But I don't yeah. think that has seeped down. <laughs> Uh, into into the, the world of practice. And Indian industry in particular uh, needs to play, in my view, a much more active role in telling the government that this is really not the way to strengthen Indian industry.
2: You raise very pertinent points. I think that was five minutes of plain speak, Dr. Aluvalia, which uh, perhaps anyone who's involved in... Uh, Structuring the budget should be mindful of. I have only five minutes to go on the show, so let me get closing comments from my other guests, Dr. Acharya. Um, you know, comment on that. Does this budget have the ability to do what Dr. Aluvalia is indicating, which is do a reset for us? And what is our reset? I mean, uh, uh, does it? Do we go back to the four and a half percent, where quarter after quarter we were actually actually seeing slippage on growth, or do we make a bigger bigger reset for ourselves? <laughs>
3: Well, uh, Mitalia, I think it's a. Uh, it's, uh, it, I have a lot of agreement with what Montek has said, but I, I think we should not ask too much from the budget. I think the real worry I have going forward uh, is that uh, uh, managing the. It, it's the old trade off between growth and inflation. That problem uh, is going to be something that we have to be very careful about. Uh, I did said that uh, uh, you know uh, a lot of the heavy lifting has been uh, in effect been done by the central bank during this year and now it's time for the fiscal stimulus i'm not sure i would see it quite that way because i but my 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 big fear is that we may end up in a situation where next year's fiscal combined fiscal deficit or, or to take the center's fiscal deficit instead of being around 5%, is around six and a half, seven percent 7%. Then I don't see how monetary policy can be anything but expansionary as well, simply to finance that order of uh, borrowing that the government is going to have to do. And that's the real danger, I think, of not, uh, of, of, of uh, if you like, uh, uh, not taking the, the, the dividend of the, the revenue bounce that we are going to see. So while I take the points that uh, Montek said about that, we really need to think about the year ahead, and the twenty—I mean, year beyond twenty-one, twenty-two. Yeah. Uh, that's where that's, that should be our thing. That should certainly be in the back of one's uh, back of the policymaker's mind. But <clears throat> I think that for macro fiscal purposes, uh, we have a lot on the, the finance minister and her team has a lot on their plate simply to manage the balance in the coming year uh, between between these these uh, growth versus uh, inflation sets of issues, as well as uh, doing the needful for the poorest segments of society who are being deeply scarred every day that we speak. Uh, Just uh, just one other on the policy area where I have a lot of agreement with Montek, that is, um, I think, uh, you know, we have really done quite poorly. Uh, if you look at our, uh, our, our trade policy over the last few years. Uh, uh, the tariffs is one part of it. Uh, in my view, I think uh, recognizing the, f- the the plain fact that the fastest growing part of the world economy in the next two, three years is going to be uh, East and Southeast Asia. I really think that we should uh, reevaluate whether we should uh, try and enter RCEP uh, uh, again or, or rather, you know, enter it rather than not enter it, even though uh, that might seem to be kind of reversing an earlier decision. Uh, the fact is that the world economy that we now face post-COVID is very different from pre-COVID, uh, because I see much more sluggish recovery rates in Europe, uh, European-centered uh, economies, as well as uh, the US and America's centered economies. The real action is going to be in, in, in Asia Without South Asia, and so we should we should we should really gear up on that. And so I'm all in favor of uh, not just holding the customs tariff, the raised customs tariff line, but putting a down payment on reducing those in the in in this budget. The revenue implications are going to be minimal, so uh, I don't think that one needs to bother about that at all. And uh, and 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 the real uh, benefit for industry is going to come from other areas, uh, in terms of, for example. Finance available at reasonable rates of uh, interest, and and of course, uh, uh, allowing our export possibilities to be fully utilised, which you which we don't do, by uh, yeah. uh, both both by having excessively high customs tariffs on inputs and so on, as well as by not entering uh, trade agreements when we should.
2: No, you're right, and I think even amongst RCEP members, uh, Dr. Acharya, there was some some sadness at India not becoming part of that group. Uh, Perhaps it was seen as a counterfall to China, and this is a good time for us to step up and be counted on the global stage. Sajid, final word with you. You you wrote in April, the governing principle behind all intervention should be simple, deep but temporary support that's sustainable and avoids moral hazard. Let me ask you if you think that was achieved through the period of 2020 when the pandemic was raging and whether you are hopeful that's what the budget will do.
1: Yeah, Mitali, very quickly, I, I do think on the monetary policy front, we saw deep support and we're now seeing some reversal. Uh, and that gives me hope that uh, the mix was right. But just to pick up on the important point that Dr. Acharya made, I think getting the fiscal monetary mix right is correct. And I would completely agree that if we reached a point where the fiscal deficit had to be monetized again in 21-22, I would worry about the implications of that. The reason I'm not so worried about that is if we just look back to what happened in the COVID year itself, uh, the RBI ended up buying much, much less than anybody expected because uh The private sector uh, demand was so weak and private sector precautionary savings had increased to such a level that India actually ran a current account surplus, which could approach 2% of GDP. And the counterpart of that was huge uh, interbank system liquidity. Deposit growth was very strong. Credit growth is weak. And therefore, banks themselves absorb the bulk of the government issuance. Uh, The fact that the balance of payments surplus was 4% of GDP because we had a you know, current account surplus and strong capital inflows actually complicated the RBI's management because the current account was too shallow. We needed a stronger current account. uh, And because they were intervening to prevent rupee appreciation, rupee liquidity was being created. The short point I'm making is under the assumption that we make a gradual recovery uh, next year. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the first quarter will be plus 25%. That's a statistical aberration. um, That I'm not sure the central bank will have to intervene and buy a lot of government debt because we project the current account to be flat and the balance of payments to be in a surplus of about 2% of GDP. So we will have this domestic liquidity sitting in the banking system. And if banks are going to be, uh, you know, averse to uh, uh, growing credit strongly, you could be in a situation where the fiscal deficit is financed uh, largely without any expansion of the central bank's balance sheet. And I think the RBI anticipating this has become confident in withdrawing some of that rupee liquidity. So I think given the state of the private sector, we could be in um, a bit of a sweet spot next year where you could have an expansionary fiscal impulse, and yet the central bank will not be forced into financing the bulk of it uh, if the current account is flat. But the, let me just end with the last point. You know, I think Dr. Acharya and Dr. Alwalia made the same point. I think 7% growth really solves a lot of problems. right? And the, the labor scarring that we spoke about, a lot of that actually you know, gets mitigated with 7% growth. But sometimes not realized, we appreciate the impact on incomes and jobs. What we don't appreciate is the impact on debt sustainability. You know, we've been talking about debt and growth as if they're different things. And I'll give you a simple scenario to end. If India were to grow at 7% in real terms over the next five years, and therefore nominal GDP is about 10, right? Even if the fiscal consolidation is very gradual, you know, we reverse course over three years and not two, debt to GDP, which is 85, will gradually come down towards 80 in about five or seven years. Now, in the second scenario, where unfortunately, if we get stuck at a 5% growth trajectory, right, and nominal GDP is at 8%, even if we do rapid fiscal consolidation in the next two years, debt to GDP monotonically rises from 85 to above 90%. So I think, I think all of us are saying the same thing that we need, a, and the government started on, on, on some measures in the in, in, in last few months, we really need to get back to 7% growth because that rising tide lifts a lot of boats.
2: Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure pleasure speaking with you. I think there's a wealth of information. We all agree that we shouldn't worry about the FISC. Growth is paramount. Jobs are paramount. And there needs to be attention given to both states and issues like inflation. Uh, My deep thanks to all of you for taking your time out today. It's been a fantastic discussion. To all our viewers, goodbye. We'll see you again, of course, next week with another chapter of this conversation around the budget. Thank you for watching.
1: Thank you. Thank you.